G'day, Osha here. Thank you for listening. If you've never listened to this show, it's a show called Better Than Yesterday. It's been here since 2013. There's quite a team of people that I used to make it by myself, but then kind of got out of hand, <laughs> which is a good thing. Um, so there's a team of people that help me make this show to help me pay those great people that help me make this show. You might hear an ad. So if you hear an ad, look, thank you, because you're helping us keep the lights on. If you don't hear an ad, you're going to hear Hamish Blake. Yeah, Hamish Blake. Say something rad. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In terms of balancing a job that means you have a profile with your family, I just think people knowing who you are is a necessary side effect of having the career I've had and not unwelcome by any stretch of the imagination. Like I enjoy saying hi to people out and about and whatever. But you know that that's a part of a, a world, a game that you're playing. It's not who you are. But if that public side of things dried up, I'm quite fine with that because that's not who I am to my kids and my wife. He's a similar guy, but that's just sort of one of the hats I wear. So you get to understand the world of having a profile and the, the way that that system works. And there are, of course, giant benefits to it. Like you get to do some amazing things and I'm overwhelmingly grateful versus any kind of cost of losing your anonymity but you do understand it's a game like that's just a game you have to learn how to play but I sort of I treat it as a game because I think if you believed it if it became your identity you would absolutely lose yourself that is broadcaster author producer and let's face it the nicest person you'll ever meet Hamish Blake and this is better than yesterday G'day, welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thanks for listening. It is summer 2022. Uh, so we have been revisiting some of the episodes we made in 2021 while my very hardworking team, how we, while we all take a bit of a break. 
over the weeks, which has ended up being like, uh, oh, you know what's relaxing? Yeah, f- finding rat tests and food. That's that's a relaxing time, isn't it? <laughs> oh, shit. So, yeah, we are going to revisit our conversation with Hamish Blake today. And it's brilliant. And we'll have a new episode for you next week. Before we get to that, I just wanted to say, like, if this show does bring you value, the best thing you can do for me is to share it with someone. Let somebody know about the show. That's it. Either, you know, use the share button in your podcast app or email someone or tell a friend or tell your Uber driver or whatever. Just let them know about the show. If you need to get in touch with me, it's real easy. Send us your email at gmail.com. So, Hamish Blake. What can I tell you about Hamish Blake? I've always been just flabbergasted at how wonderfully, like intensely smart Hamish is. How incredibly funny Hamish is. You know how smart and funny he is. But then you meet him and you go, oh, you're also the kindest, most caring, most empathetic person that I've ever breathed the same air as. Um, we recorded the conversation in a brief lull in COVID horror, so he was in the same room as me when we did this podcast. And for me, it was always, I guess I came up in broadcasting at a time that was kind of on the back end of the 80s and the early 90s when it was, you got to the mic by using your sharp elbows. That's how you got on the mic or that's how you got on camera. Like that was the that was the model. You fought your fucking way to the top, right? Hamish and Andy, his collaborator, and this remarkable team, which you'll hear us talking about in this show, they did it by just being the fucking best and the nicest and the best to work with and the most professional and the funniest and the kindest and the most wonderful people that, that left everyone with a great experience of working with them. And it just got better from there. And it's a pretty fucking good model for success, if you ask me. He's the king. That's all I can tell you. He's the king. And I couldn't be more happy to bring you this conversation. Enjoy this wonderful time with you and me and Hamish Blake. Mate, thanks for coming on. I'm really grateful you made it. Like uh, Audrey said, are you nervous? I said, yeah, I am. She said, why? I'm like, because I've I've wanted to have Amish on the show since I started. Oh, that's so lovely. I'm I'm really grateful that that you're here. And I was thinking this morning, do you remember the first time we met? Oof. Look, it would be something to do with Idol. It would have to to be something to do with Australian Idol. I reckon maybe I met you and you might not have remembered it because I used to work – my first ever radio gig was Melbourne – Fox FM in Melbourne, the Brecky Show. I had a job for a year that I now know is a made-up job in radio, but I thought it was a real thing, where I was a writer on the Breakfast Show. And that's not a position. I've never heard of it before or since. But So our very good mate, Sammy Kavanagh, who, funnily enough, in the way that the universe turns, is now the producer of, of all things that we make, he back then was the assistant producer on the Fox Breakfast Show, Tracy and Matt. And so I was mates with Sammy and I was at uni and I was like staying to do stand-up comedy and, and he was like, look, we need someone to come and write some funny stuff or, I don't know, inject a bit of behind the scenes, a bit of extra comedy into the show. Uh-huh. And so it was just essentially a behind the scenes gig, but it, that was the year of maybe Australian Idol 1, 2001? Right. Is that 2003. 
Yeah, probably. I was actually 2003. Maybe I'm just well, being And I came on the breakfast show. I reckon you did. Yeah, you came I on. remembered. That's it. But I was like, oh, my God, Asha. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I wouldn't have remembered. Yeah, like, it was Andrew G. It was James. Oh, this is, uh, how are you guys? And, you know, it was it was like, was that was Millsy the first year yeah, of Idol? Yeah, it was. it was that year. So I've got a photo of my sister who's like, you know, braces, who's now just like a, an elegant 32-year-old woman, you know, mother of two, but at the time like, you know, just a, a, a quivering 13, 14-year-old with like, you know, braces and, and panicking meeting Millsy. Just couldn't believe she was meeting Millsy. And these photos are from my, like, Sony Cybershot digital camera. Yes. So these are old. This is old stuff. So that was back. I reckon that was the first time we met. Wow. I but it really would have just been glancing. It would have been glancing. I don't, I don't recall that. No. But I do, I do remember the breakfast shows did have writers. You're not alone there. They had I think Mark it was a very Brisbane. 90s thing. It yes. was like in the yeah. Peter Moon days and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was funny because that's wild. I, the first time I – therefore, then my, my story goes out the window because the first time I remember meeting you was in New York City – at oh, the yeah, that was the first time we really hung out. Dukes yeah. of Hazard, the Johnny junket. Knoxville junket. Yeah, what were you doing that for? I just moved to America full time. Okay, cool. Uh, I know I was part time, still part time there. I was like doing eight months a year there. Okay, and I was doing Channel V, Idol, and Take Forty Australia. So yeah, I was able to go to the film companies. I can do one interview. And I can give you 110 stations and a national television station. And they great went sale. great. Great sell. Yes. So Andy and I, that was a great moment in time for me and Andy because we had this real sweet spot going on where we were like, we were keen to do radio, but all we had was a Saturday morning show. And usually a Saturday morning show goes to someone that's already doing something else like quite significant. Like Rove, for example, had the previous Saturday morning show. So it was like... It's usually, I mean, without understanding, this is with all due respect to Rove and the radio show they did, it's like you take the deal because it's like a bit of extra money and like you can make a radio station pay a high price and, you know, you pre-record two hours, it's a piece of cake. But we were like, this was our full-time gig doing this Saturday morning radio show. So we were in the radio station like all week preparing for our Saturday morning radio show to the point where I'm sure people were like... What are you guys doing in here? But we were like, we just come and we use the internet for free. Like, we just love being in the radio station. And yeah. we were just playing like cricket in the hallway. And it, it kind of probably had a lot to do with us getting a better gig in radio because we just were in the building yeah. and cared. Like, we were like crafting bits for Saturday. It was like completely irrelevant. Like, the even if you're... Saturday morning radio show is rating like a 100% share. It's not really going to move the needle for the total week. Like there's no, no. one listening. So it's a, it's a training ground. But because we were there, we could do the stuff that like other shows just didn't have the time to do. Like go to New York for one interview. Like the breakfast show's not doing that. And the drive show's like, yeah, but we'll like, it'll cost us a whole week of shows. But we could. So that, that was like our perfect year. We went to Cannes. We were going to New York. Like we were just taking junkets everywhere. Loved it. You mentioned two things that are really important there. One was just like being in the building, yep. being seen by people and also being seen by people, oh, my God, these guys, are they're not here for four more days, but they're here busy, they're working, they're also playing cricket, they're having fun. I think it actually, yeah, I think it, uh, it sort of, it had an accidental effect of, of just communicating the truth, which was we really cared, like we really loved doing it. And, and you and I know now, like the longer you're in this industry, like, Caring is what it's all about. Like you, the people that do well care. Like they want to do well. They're hungry and and they have that 
desire to do well. You, so we were right in that crux of our life. So like mid twenties, we were like, we really care and we want to do well at this. We don't know how to do it. Like we don't have any experience and we don't have. There's no game plan. Like there's, but at least we've got enthusiasm. So I think it was like just a, a display of enthusiasm that we were in the building. And funnily enough, like you realize, like that goes a long way. That goes a long way. It was a display of enthusiasm, I suppose, as well, coupled with the magical side serving of no expectation. So it's like, I think you see a lot of enthusiasm these days, but with people going, okay, well, I've I've shown you a day of enthusiasm. Can you show me my three year plan and deal with with share options? <laughs> But it, it had none of that. It was like like we, there was no we, – we didn't feel entitled to anything. We just felt like stoked to be there. And yeah. I think because that was genuine and it wasn't attached to any sort of long-term plan, like we just never had a long-term plan and we, we still don't. So I think what we were discovering was let's just enjoy this while it lasts. And the other thing that I think was really important too and I, and I learned a lot from that year where I was a writer on The Breakfast Show was I thought I was very important – like, I, you know, I had to get up at 4.30 and you had to do this breakfast. That's the only year I've ever done breakfast hours, like breakfast radio hours. And it's brutal. But I thought I was important, which was a, when I wasn't. But it, but it was a great thing to have that be my perception because it's like the live fire simulation of pressure but not actual pressure. So I was like, God, I've got to think of something. Like I was really, you know, like you're ringing your brain out going, I've got to think of something for this morning's show. I've got to do a good job. And so I had a huge amount of perceived pressure and it was great training to understand what that like working in a live show environment is like where it doesn't matter if you've got 10 jokes or no jokes, you're going on air in one minute and that's a fact. <laughs> so you're going on air with nothing or 10 who cares? Like, doesn't matter. You're still going on air. So, I like learning that, which is like a kind of a pretty important part of radio. I think of just understanding, especially for like drive radio for us. You know, you've always got one eye on the clock from kind of like midday when you're in there, and you're having fun and you're relaxing. And as your career goes on, you get more and more comfortable with that. But three fifty nine always brings with it that moment of going that little voice in your head going, "Are you sure you got you got enough for today? <laughs> Are you sure you got enough for today?" And you, I think you just have to get comfortable in that in that zone. So that year taught me, like, I, I felt the pressure of the show, but now looking back on it, like, no one would have noticed if I Is wasn't there. Is it still there. there, though? Is it still... All the pressure's internal, right? Like, you build up this huge pressure, like, okay, I've got to, I've got to perform. Like, you put in this enormous yeah. weight on yourself in the morning. Over the course of doing my job, I have the opportunity to be in it you know, exposed to other radio teams, all right, through being interviewed for the shows that I do. Yeah, yeah. And of course, I psychoanalyze and, you know, see, you know, who's the leader, who's the whatever, who's the whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And occasionally you'll find some teams where one of them is just checked right out. Oh, and, yeah. You know, yep. checked right out. But, and I always remember, and someone that I know you'll know, early in my career, when I was still at B105, when it was still called B105, uh, Craig Bruce. I'd just started doing mid-dawns and he was this hot shot from Fox FM. He had long hair and he was like this fucking gun, right? <laughs> and he knew I was doing mid-dawns and I was, you know, six hours starting at midnight, whatever. And he said, look, if your heart doesn't race the moment before you turn the mic on, you should get out of the chair and let someone else have a go. And It's good advice. It is. It is really good advice because there's twice in my career when my heart hasn't raced and I've gone... I have to go now. Yeah, I have to let someone else try this because yeah, I'm I'm out. 
Because what else will happen is you get resentful, you get resentful of the people around you, the show suffers. Do you still get that flutter? Like even when you're rolling into Lego Masters, everyone knows how to do it, you know? I've seen oh, you on yeah, set, you're yeah, the fucking yeah. guy, but still. No, no, I do. And and I, I had similar advice, you know, the old adage of like, look, if you're not nervous, you're not professional. And I think it's true. I think it's really, what I think you get better at doing is like harnessing that racing, that heart race. Like you, you learn to be comfortable with it. Yeah. But um, I like it. I use it as a good physical reminder. Like I always still try and take a moment before you step on the set or before the mics go on because I think, I think the times I haven't done it, you, I can notice it. But just to take one breath, like one moment to center yourself and like, you know, I have a little thing where I'm like I visualise like revving my brain just to increase your awareness. We're like, here we go. It's kind of like you're about to play a sport, right? Like, yeah. I don't know what ball's going to get bowled. I don't know what's going to come at me, but I'm I'm aware. Like, yeah. I'm on. I always have that kind of like mental try and just for a breath switch on that moment, which I think is, is at about the same time your heart's racing. Like, that's a good time to do it. But I definitely like on Lego and stuff. Man, a huge, huge amount of it on Lego, especially season one, I had massive... I find them very funny now looking back on them, just some of the single sentence thoughts that I had in that season because the trajectory of a TV show is you hear the idea, you're interested, the network's talking to you about it. Oh, yeah, I can see how that would happen. You sit down with the producers, like, what if we did this? What if we did that? You, Especially a show that hasn't existed yet. So you're in that creation phase and there's a bunch of stuff I think you do before a show's been made to make you feel make everyone around the table feel better in the brainstorm. Yeah, we're going to do this joke and we're going to do this. Like, and if you can write things down and they're concrete, like they're going to happen. What you're really doing, I think, is just trying to buy yourself a bit of comfort. So you're not like, geez, we're going to gather 80 people in a building here and spend a million dollars and we don't really know what we're doing. So you're like, no, we can point to things on the run sheet and we can point to like ideas and all that stuff. You know in your heart that if the show is just that, it won't have worked. Like what you're really trying to do is create the environment for the unknown to happen. And then that's the magic that's going to make the TV show. But anyway, you're in that stage of like, this will happen, this will happen. Like you're writing down your set things and it's making everyone feel more comfortable. But then on the day, you really get there. And then there's like this voice in my head going, wow, this is really happening. And I prepared mentally a lot for... Like I tried to get my head around this because I'd never hosted a reality show before. Like, you know this, you're standing at the front. I don't know if you ever had this moment or not standing at the front of a reality show, but I definitely had a moment of going, you're the host. Like you can't wait for someone to say something. Like you actually have to say what's going on. And I'm not really used to doing that in my line of work. I just, I was just like, oh my God, I really, I've gathered everyone here. I got to tell them what this is about. And so I just was like, just had all these moments of the EP going, and I should say that bit, shouldn't I? Because, like, I'm the host. And they're like, yeah, you're the host, so you should say that bit. I'm like, all right, that's, yeah, it makes sense. Like, I suppose someone has to say it, and I I suppose it's me because Brinkman can't say it. Contestants can't say it because they don't know it yet. Yeah, I guess it's me. I guess I'm saying it. Like, I just constantly was like, nothing on this show will get brought up. Like, no idea or, or, or topic will get brought up unless you bring it up. And I said, there's like, especially the first few episodes, this rapid learning of going, all the stuff that you know is in this show, these, all these ideas won't come to the surface. You won't find out how people are feeling, what they're thinking about. We will not get into the contestants' heads unless you ask the question. Like, you have to do it. So I just had a lot of weird moments where I just sort of realised I was the host. And then a little voice would be like, you don't know how to host. And then I'd be like, no, I think I've got this. And then, then someone would be like, 
well, don't just be Jeff Probes. Like, you can't just be Jeff Probes from Survivor. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not going to be him. I'll try and be someone else. <laughs> but, yeah, just some very fast thinking on your feet, just going, oh, my God, I'm, I'm actually the host. It's funny listening to you say that because that explains why I think the show absolutely sings and absolutely clicks along because we are getting a reflection of your curiosity and who you are as a person comes out in in the reactions That's of the good. people, and which is where that comes through. It translates, which is what, what makes it. That's good. And I, and I think that, you know, I reckon all good TV, all good TV is just genuine, like mm. scripted, unscripted. It all comes from a really genuine place, like a genuine care. And I think definitely early that first was probably the, there was a time in the first episode where maybe there was an air of relief because I was like, no, I, the, the thing I gambled on caring about yeah. because, uh, you know, it's not like I've been to thousands of Lego conventions. I'm, I'm not an adult Lego builder. Like I don't know this world. But I was gambling on the fact that if I'm in the room, I reckon I'll care. I reckon I'll be interested. But I don't know. But I'm, I'm taking a punt that I will be. And I think there was that moment of getting into the room, you start to meet the people, you see it all come to life. Definitely a feeling of relief going, great, I care. I do care. This is great. I'm so relieved to find that I'm really interested in this and, and I find the competition fun and I find these people fun. And I was like, oh, phew, because otherwise this was going to be a long two months of pretending. Did it change the way that you've, not just Lego, but did it change the way you play with your kids? Good question. I think it, I think a little bit yes, a little bit no. Like I reckon I, I've, oh, Lego, the, the, the actual Lego level was probably a few years ahead of where I took the job a little bit to impress my son because he was five at the time or four at the time, two five. We were right. We were into Lego. We were buying Lego. Like we, I was still sort of mostly building it, but we were doing it together, and it was beginning to be a fun thing. And I was like, I think he's. I think this is gonna really gonna impress him. And uh, then he really didn't care that much about the show. I was like, no, I'll bring him to see it. Like I, every night, I'd bring stuff home from set. Like I've made him little bits and pieces. And the first season, I would make. I'd try every day to build something for my wife for Zoe. And then just like a, an in-joke or like a thing from our life or some random thing, you know, like one of them was she hates the song Bat Out of Hell. So I made a bat in a cage <laughs> in hell but chained in the cage so the bat could never get out of hell. Like, so there was like some really weird deep – because I was – like by first few days it's all your standard in-jokes that you have with your partner like, oh, you know, like we like bees, so I made your bee. And then by day eight, I was like, oh, sort of run out of all our references here. Um, <laughs> and, then get really deep. and then I would just make, I'd be like, hey, Brickman, can you make me a plane? And then he'd, because, you know, we're about to go on holidays and he'd make a plane and then I'd take it home. So I'd be like, this is good. These are, this is really good. I'd think, damn it. Yeah, I got Brickman to make that one. <laughs> but I'd try and make little things for Sunny too. I'd be like, what do you want me to make? He'd be like, make a dragon with wheels or something. I was like, okay, great. So I'd try and do that at work and I'd, I'd try and bring it home. But even then, he was just like kind of nonplussed and, and I was telling him, like, I'm working with Lego like every day. Mm. We have millions of pieces of Lego. And then so the first time I bought him in was probably a month into shooting. And like on the set, like you stop for lunch, everyone sort of like hands off, the clock stops, the contestants get to go and have lunch, which I'm sure if people thought about, they would realise we don't make them build for like 12 hours with no toilet breaks at lunch, but that's what happens. So at lunch, the, the room is kind of mid-build and there's Lego everywhere, but it's it's just sort of frozen in time. And so I took Sunny on set at lunchtime and we're walking around and just did the big reveal. I'm like, what are you, here we go. This is dad's work. Pretty fucking cool, isn't it? <laughs> so I'm like, here we go. This is the Lego show. And Sunny's like, yeah, I know. You told me about this. 
<laughs> like this is so like a completely just he was like yeah, it, yeah you've been talking about this for a month this is what I expected so I was like right that's a good lesson. I should have told him I worked at like the Umbrella Factory or something and then surprised him. <laughs> Although he probably would have been like, oh, I wanted to see all the umbrellas. All the, the umbrellas. So it, it, has, it wasn't that impressive. It, until this year, this season, he's into it. Right, like right. now he is, like he's watching yeah. it on catch up. He's uh-huh. like, I can hear it on in the other room. He'll uh-huh. like run in and be like, dad, guess who won? Guess who won? I'll be like, I don't, I don't know who, who got it. He's like, Gus and David, the Tiger won. I'm like, no way. <laughs> this is incredible. Like, you can see me on the screen, yeah, right? right? Like, you know I've heard of this already. Doesn't we'll matter. Get there. We'll he, get there. He's, so he's, he's talked about it. So in terms of Lego, in terms of the playfulness or like the, the creativity on the show, I actually have learned a lot. I think I have learned a lot of those lessons and applied them in other areas of life. And definitely, yeah, it's a good question because I, I, I reckon I owe Lego a lot for, you know, I'm just a big fan of, you know, like I don't think any level of effort is too much to create a fun memory at home. Like I love, I'm just a big fan of effort. The effort reward multiplier for for making memories, I just think is always worth it. Where does that come from? I don't know. It's a really good question. I, it's probably one for, you know, my therapist. But I reckon it's, it maybe it's, it's you look back and not saying that I didn't have an exciting childhood, but I think it's that thing of going, oh, it happens so f- – maybe it's a reaction to ha- realising how fast it happens oh, too yeah. with kids, right, and just going, you got no time. Yeah. Like, like I sort of think the critical mistake you could make is putting it off, right, just to go, oh, maybe I will do a fun memory tomorrow. Do you know what I mean? I could just see how that would be such a slippery slope and then they're not five anymore, they're not six anymore, they're not three anymore. And so I think I just have a ferocious – kind of drive to just go, let's not miss any moments here. Like, let's not, let's take all our shots, even if they're dud memories or, you know. I just don't think you can have a dud memory. I think it's like if you put uh, putting the effort in and you're uh, open to your kids' curiosity and you can pivot and twist and turn, you'll always end up somewhere fun. And I get, to, uh, that's my favourite part about being a dad. Like, you get tons out of it. But I think Lego has given us a lot of that too because that's the spirit of Lego, right? So it definitely helps being surrounded by that all day. Like, yeah. standing in a building where the whole ethos that everyone believes and lives is anything's possible yeah. you can make anything happen even if you go home and that becomes that means you're, you're making characters out of the fruit in the fruit bowl i think it still comes from being yeah. surrounded by that creativity all day yeah, and that play has value play is just not a thing yes you know i, I remember as a kid it's like it's not playtime boys like i remember that it's like but Play is really important. It's yeah. really important oh. to work out your brain in different ways and allow your subconscious to feed and, and work out and figure things out because it's when you're doing that stuff, the ideas for the other things show up. I agree. It's in the I, middle I, of all I that. agree completely. <laughs> and it, and it's it's sort of like, and you have, I, I'm a big fan of just like freestyle playing, right? Like in the same way that for people that are interested in fitness, like sure, go to the gym or whatever, but just walking around and being active just going from being at the beach and swimming and playing with your friends, like that's also important yeah. rather than just like, okay, I do F45. Yeah. Like it can exist in that moment. Like you can do you can do the big stuff with your kids. You can be like, right, we're going to the movies or we're going to Luna Park. But the, it's the play that's the real life. Like it's the playfulness that's real life. So, yeah, yeah. that and Bluey is probably <laughs> the, other, the, other huge, the other huge impact. Yeah, like every man. other parent. Like- I still can't get over it. Because that's what the show is about. That's what Blue is about. It's, yeah. And it's Dave from Custard. I just can't get Do you know, I met him the other day, right? Shut up. You've got to get him on. Get him on. Have I you, remember him from playing in bands in Brisbane yeah. back in the olden days. 
so at the opera house, like, so I got, I've been lucky enough to be a guest dog on Bluey and I'm in the next season. Right, so I think from that, like, loose association, they were like, hey, we're doing, they've got the live show on at the moment. Yeah. With the puppeteers on stage, which I love. It's really good. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's really. It's like having UQ, but without the swearing. Yeah, it's yeah. It's really, it's really, it's really beautifully done too, because it allows, I thought it was going to be people in mascot outfits and, and who were there actually at this like event we went to, we went, I took my little girl and we went to like, there's like a little before morning tea and the bingo and bluey were there in the mascot outfits and then they had to, they had to go and I was like, all oh, right, do they have to go and get ready for the show? And they're like, no, 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 they're not, we're not using those ones. Or use like puppets. It's like okay, way better because there's not only so much you can do with a giant mascot outfit. Yeah, so the show itself is really beautiful, and it's it's written by Joe Brumman. Like it makes you cry a little bit in it, just like every Bluey episode. So it's a really it's a really well done show. But so with the cast was there beforehand, and Dave McCormick, like the voice of Bandit, came and said, "Oh, get out, Hamish, how are you going?" It's like oh, Dave. <laughs> That's the most starstruck I've been for a long time, just hearing bandits <laughs> say my voice because it is him, right? Yeah. Like it's just he's not really putting on a voice. It's just, just I do Dave. love it as a show because it, it really is that just kind of play and make-believe, that beautiful sweet spot where they know it's fake, you know it's fake, but, but it's still. I, but I go so deep on the writing too where I, I just love the writing of Bluey yeah. so much because there's always a moment in an episode where it's like, you know, mum and dad are playing like Ben and Julia, they're playing the game and you realise, let's say, sort of two-thirds of the way in that, that they knew, that, you know, they're, they're acting like they're surprised. They're, they're sort of pretending to be facing the same challenges as the kids. But then you get a little hint as to how much effort they've put in behind the scenes to, to set it up. Yeah. It's beautiful. And I, I talk about this on my show that I do with James quite a bit. I, I think I've got a real chip on my shoulder about how underrepresented Brisbane was in that popular culture. So I grew up there oh, and I never and, saw Brisbane, ever saw Brisbane on my television. And now it's just Jack Arandas and, and those big Queenslander homes. And he's exactly, he is, Bluey's Kitchen is every house party I ever had. That's you know, which is missing the Gatorade sacks, you know, but it's, <laughs> that's the houses in Red Hill and Paddington and stuff where we used to have house parties. I think I saw, did you see that article like a few, there was something a few months ago going, I don't know what Bluey's dad does, but like that house nowadays is worth like four and a half <laughs> oh mil. Oh my God, dude. They <laughs> were just like, shitbox cottages. Yeah, yeah. They absolutely were. But now, now you're, it's, you're 10 minutes from the city, five sets of lights from the CBD. Yeah. And they, like, that's like primo. Brisbane is amazing. <laughs> my like, mates just moved there because they're like, we can't afford it in Sydney. And, and these and if you two could, people doing well. Yeah, yeah. And if you, yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. And if you could live in Bandit and Chili's house. Yeah. It's great. And I mean, just every episode is about play. I mean, you, did you know he's an archaeologist? Sick. I didn't know. because didn't he, know that was his job. Because I don't feel, I feel like for two seasons we haven't seen him do much work. Early on, he says he's got to do a bit of work from home where there's the episode where he's got the yoga ball, the bouncy ball, the the big like yoga sphere and, and then it turns into like an Indiana Jones like game that he's played with the kids with the ball rolling down the hill because the whole time he's trying to do his work. I just feel like we haven't seen... Just haven't seen him do much work. From he's out, home, he's like out in Western Queensland unearthing dinosaurs. That's yeah, what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. He's stuff like Winton. So <laughs> I reckon, yeah, either that or we just find out that he he, he bought some digital dollar bucks and did, did pretty well from the crypto dollar buck boom. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't really had to do much. That well, there's some people that have done that, and, yeah. and good on them. I, I mean, say. he's probably into Dogecoin. I mean, it's that's that's their world. Probably he got out high and he's rode it to the moon. Rode it to the moon. There was a moment when, which I, I love. There was a moment when you went through a moment on air about how heavy you were. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, yeah, great. And you were going, hang on, I'm a grown man, but I'm not allowed to get on a trampoline because yes. the trampoline is weight limited at 100Ks and I'm coming in over a ton. Now, I was a dollar six. You're 6'4 at least. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Tall, tall. So it's coming in over a ton's fine for someone your size. It's true. I mean, and, and I hope these days no one refers to the BMI, whatever that was, body back, I think it's a bit of a. It's a shonk, right? It doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't, doesn't feel right. No. But I mean, yeah, I was like, oh, well, I've, I never really weighed myself. But then, do you know, the moment I realized I'd perhaps, this is before I had any concept of personal nutrition or, well, long, long ago, right? This, this, this was the beginning of my journey of, you know, and it was still some months before I would learn what a calorie was. But it was like, we lived in New York. We lived up at the pizza shop. Like when we were doing Gap here in America. You'd walk in, you know, you'd get a slice of pizza on the way into the building and a slice of pizza on the way out. It was basically like a swipe card system. Like I just yeah. wouldn't leave the house without – so you're adding like half a pizza a day onto everything else you're eating and stuff. Like I mean, this was starting to balloon. But I actually went to New Zealand. Me and Andy and a couple of our mates went to Queenstown for like three or four days. And it's like customary, I suppose, in Queenstown that you've got to go bungee jumping. And there's a bungee – there's a, for people that have been to Queenstown, like in the centre of the town, there's like a little gondola that goes up Queenstown Hill and you can jump off like a 50-metre ledge. You're looking out at the whole town, at the mountains, but you kind of are jumping down onto rocks. It's not like the traditional bridge one, but it's quick to do. Like it's very fast to kind of like sign up and do it. And there's a little hut there where you sign up. And we were all signing up, there's four of us, and, the, and they write on the back of your hand like when you're jumping. And so I was like, hang on a sec, how come... Hado's jumping 78, like Andy's jumping 85. I was like, I gotta wait to 107. I've gotta wait. <laughs> I've gotta wait. I'm not waiting 20 spots to jump. And then the guy goes, No, that's your weight. You're standing on a weight plate when you sign in. So as you're signing the waiver, they're just they have a readout of how heavy you are so they can adjust the rope. And I was like, I'm 107? Because like, well, you gotta get your shoes on and your wallet and stuff. It's like, yeah. That's what it probably is. Not, probably, not, probably not 15 <laughs> kilos of gear on me, though. So I was like... Because you and Andy are about the same height, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, So I was like, and Andy, how much is Andy? <laughs> like, you know, 90 or so. He was like, all right, okay, all right, all right. Then we've got a discrepancy here. So that was the sort of when I was like, okay, I've just realised I'm over 100 kilos. Right. And it was then we also realised like on trampolines, I have a sticker going, maximum limit of a man is 100 kilos. So that's when I became, on air, I began the campaign to become tramp legal. Tramp legal, that's right. And that was really where I was like, like and I know you've been through a similar journey yourself. You realise, you know, it's like it's an internal thing, it's an external thing, and you realise, okay, if I'm going to lose, if I'm actually going to become healthier, everyone gets there in their own way, right? But don't you think it's like, eventually the penny drops. Like, it's just about awareness. Like, it's about paying attention. It's yeah. about going, there's a lot of ways you can dance around it, but at the end of the day, you have to care. You just have to pay attention to, what, like, what you're eating. You might get seduced by just doing heaps of exercise and so you can still eat whatever you want, but it will last for only so long. It, it comes down to whether it's intermittent fasting, like, light and easy, whatever it is, it's about calories in, calories out. Like, there just is no... If you're doing extra exercise, that's some more calories out, but that is what the science is. Like, there's just no other way. That's how the body works. Yeah. So, anyway, I, that's where I began to get my head around going, no, but isn't there, like, supplements I could take, like a pill? <laughs> like, can you just, like... I remember just learning for the first time. I got an app where you had to, like, enter in everything you're eating, yeah. and you were just like, are you kidding me? If, like, a small fries is 400 calories and an egg is 90? <laughs> like, just... And lettuce is nothing. Yeah. Just getting my head around what, you know, food was 
There's different kinds of calories. I like, you know, there's different kinds of calories. Egg, like egg calories are different to fry calories. They really are, and that's probably your next step. Yeah. I reckon your first step is going. Let's just yeah. get under the number. Yeah. Then the next step is <laughs> let's put better calories in your body than just lollies. Because yeah. of course, yeah, you could just have. You want to stay under two thousand calories or whatever it is. Yeah, you could just have, I guess, like eleven cans of Coke. But you can't have anything else for the day. Oh my and god! And you'll die. <laughs> I just saw Osha really shiver. But for the first time in my life, because I wasn't really a sporty, I never was that like athletic growing up. Yeah. And I, I don't blame this, my school. I think they offered me a tempting choice at the school I went to. We weren't a really sporty school. You could either do, we didn't have Saturday's morning sport. We had Wednesday afternoon. And so you could play sport or go home at lunch. <laughs> See ya. See ya, guys. Out of here. I'm out of here. And so in year 11, you had to stay at school and do something called sport ed or AKA dud sport. So it was like, you're not good enough for a team or you're not interested in being on a team. And that year for sport ed was circus tricks. So I just learned how to juggle. Oh, I'm a great juggler. So I learned how to like juggle and do devil sticks and stuff. Like basically I learned busking. Yeah, rad. <laughs> Straight to, to Edinburgh. I learned how to busk. <laughs> like if slacklining had been invented, I would have been slacklining. He le- Why don't you guys learn something that gives nothing to society. Like, this absolutely adds nothing. Mate, that's how it is. That started. Come yep. on. So, learnt that and then the next year you could you could go home. <laughs> so All right, so like, we've tried our hardest with you. Here. Just get off the property. That's the way I, the way I talk to people about it. I've done um, a couple of big bicycle rides and um, Amy's Grand Fondo yeah, is, is, is one, which is I've done a few times and I say to them, it's like, so that's five hours of riding, mm-hmm. 120Ks. I think it's about two and a half thousand metres yeah. Elevation. Yep. All right. And it's hard. It's really yeah. hard. Yep. And that was, I showed them the Strava. I was saying that's 3,000 calories. I'm like, yeah. that's less than a kind of a drive through supersized meal that you might yeah, get. Yeah, you could from eat 3,000 calories in a meal. In 10 minutes, you can eat that. And it's they go, brutal. oh, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Like you can, and what is my friend Ruben? He wrote a book about it. Um, Ruben Meerman is his name. Book's called Big Fat Myths. He always says it's very easy to out-eat your exercise, but it's very hard to out-exercise your eating. Can't out-train a bad diet. You cannot. Unless you're Michael Phelps. Like, literally, unless you are, because, like, you know how, like, at the Olympics, it was like, this is what he eats in a day, because he's doing 10,000 calories a day. Yeah. Because that guy's in the pool for, like, 12 hours, and he's redlining. But that's just a wild... Yeah. Again, you're like at the total edge of human performance. Yeah. Not a day-to-day recommendation. No, I do not. No. But that's the thing. It's like in, in a funny way, like because I was like, all right, I got interested. I was like, actually prefer to be for the first time, you know, psychologically. I'd be interested to know if this was your feeling too because like I know you were, you were a heavier teen. Like yeah, 20s. I was 112 when yeah, I was yeah. 17. Yeah. I think what happens through your teenage years is actually a really interesting psychological thing because I didn't have any belief that this could – I just wasn't one of those guys, right? You have that internal voice going, oh, I can't be a fit guy because I, you, you didn't learn it when yeah. you were 15. It's, it's on us too. Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, we opted out, right, like to yeah. some extent. Like, I mean, it wasn't It wasn't like people were trying. I chose to, this is I chose yeah, to just, play guitars instead. We did other stuff, right? But then, then you face this thing where later in life you're beginning to get interested in maybe doing stuff like big bike rides. But I was, I was interested to find I had the voice inside me going, ah, oh, but that's not for you. You can't do that. And yeah, that's yeah. the thing you had to kind of overcome. Everyone cracks that nut in their own way. But to learn, oh, I, you can be that person. You just, I just had that barrier inside me. So I've really enjoyed going through that process and, and becoming a bit more aware about my body and then seeing what you could do. Like I do have a, I did discover inside me around about 30 that I have a bit of a taste for hard 
endurance events, like all things that f- seem hard to me. And I think part of the attraction, and this you do find it a lot in like men and women that like end up in like the ultra endurance world, you know, like your David Goggins is your classic, you know, he was a massively overweight dude. Now he's like, you know, the baddest dude on earth. I think when you're suffering, like when you're at the right, that limit of you're hurting, you, you develop a fascination of going, yeah, but I'm proving to that voice that I can do this as well as just the satisfaction of doing it. it it's, it's got an extra layer of grat- gratification, I think, for people yeah. that have maybe had at some time in their life a belief that they couldn't do it. There's an extra layer of, I reckon, right in that dark, dark hurt locker, right at the edge where everything's screaming for you to give up. That just gives you an extra nudge to keep going, to go, but um, I can't believe I'm here. And I, and, I, and I, what if I went a little bit further? Uh, and that's the thing that makes you sign up for the next one. But it's also the thing I found that really helps me away from the bike. Totally. Because when I'm at work or when I'm somewhere, I'm like, okay, so I might feel like I'm it. I might feel I'm maxed out. But I know from looking at the data. I've felt like, that before. I'm at 40%. Yep. I've got so much more beyond this. It's, and let's just keep going. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting you know, I guess that's why we do endurance sports and stuff because it's like you can you can simulate it. Mm-hmm. Because you also don't have to be fast. I think the other thing I like about endurance sport is you just have it's to not hang about, in there the longest. That's exactly right. Endurance sports isn't who finishes the quicker; it's who slows down the least. And if, <laughs> yeah. if you can get over the line, you'll get a medal. If you get over the line, that's it. I'm in. That's it's a totally exactly. It's totally a different different mindset too because it's like we're not you're not really stuck on a mountain in a blizzard against the unknown, and no. that's so it's like you're not really up against it and fearing for your life, but no. You are in as much pain as you can simulate yeah. in a safe environment, right? Long yeah. runs, long rides, tough climbs, going flat out on the roll or whatever it is. Like you're, you're, at, you're at maximum sort of like simulated pain. Yeah. And that's where it becomes interesting, I think, to go. I think it's really helpful. I, I find it really helpful, like you said, away from the, like let's say on a roller, rowing machine, which is something I'm also a bit of a fan of. You have to get to that point where you're like, I, I completely believe I'm done. I'm not just saying it to be cool and go a bit more. I want to ferociously want to stop. And to me, it's about trying to catch that thought and beat it, right? Sometimes it's a bar of soap and you can't catch it and you are are stopped. But the times where you can catch it and go harder, they're the bits where I think you have to take a step and be like, I completely believed I was done and I wasn't. What do you say to yourself? Because I used to think to myself when I – back when I could still run – I don't run anymore, but I used to say to myself, this is just a thought or this is just an idea and mm-hmm. I can change my mind about ideas. Yes, exactly. And mm-hmm. That's this idea is I'm going to stop and walk, but I can change my mind. I can go the way I would do it is I would break it down. It's like, how, what's as far as I can see? That corner over there, I can run to there. Totally. Like, what, what do you do when you're in that space? I, I was thinking about this. I've thought about this a lot, but I'm, I'm like, I reckon I've got a collection of the people that have helped me along the way, like different voices come into my head at different stages. Sometimes it's something I've read or I think everyone incrementalizes it too. I reckon that would be a common thing that you've got your your own version. Like I'm like, you know, 10 good breaths. Like just, I think I try and bring it right back to the present to just go. Because we all know if you're doing a marathon or something, if you think about the finish line and you're 5Ks in, you'll stop. But mm-hmm. if you think about the next light post, you'll get there, right? So the battle becomes like 10,000 light posts, instead of one big race. So I, I personally, like when I'm really hurting, let's say like max effort, I'll try and bring it back to the current breath and maybe do 10 good breaths. Cause you, cause I'm like, all right, what am I, what, what is this pain? Like, it's just pain, right? Like it's just, you can be in pain. I, and I, and I think I had a great 
you know, had some good advice along the way, which is I think preparing for it before you do something hard is also really helpful too to go, you're about to be in pain. So when you get in pain, that's great. That's just the pain you expected. So it removes the shock of the pain, I suppose. So yeah, you know you're going to be in pain. And then when you're, when that voice in you side you goes, this hurts, we should stop. Go, no, no, this hurts, which we expected. <laughs> and let's keep going. Yeah. So I, that's a little, that's probably where my mind goes to, I think, in those, those harder efforts. Yeah. Bring it back to one breath and try and do one breath. Do you break it down into like form or, or things like that? Do little you have bit. little triggers around? around? But I think I also have a bit of a like, you do not want to, you know in one minute you'll be fine. Uh, and you do not want to be sitting there going, I quit. I gave up. You know, because you're facing your demons, right? You don't want to go, I faced my demons and I flinched. So there's that's that's a little bit of like, you don't want to get off the bike here and go, God damn it. I, uh, I let it go. And yeah. then I think, then I also think it's important to like bring a bit of happiness back into it because it shouldn't all be like, it shouldn't be this like <laughs> completely soul destroying. Like, like, what are you doing down there in the garage on your rowing machine if, if you're just torturing yourself? I think you've got to bring a little bit of the joy back into it too to be like, I, I can, you know, you can beat this and it's, and there's like an elation in that too. So yeah. you're like, I, I know I can, you know, you can beat it, you know, you can do it. You bring a bit of the self belief back into it because I think it's also, you know, I, for me anyway, I like exercising because I like doing it. I'm not doing it because I'm like, oh, you know, I think you have to do it from a space of like love rather than going, well, I'll hate myself if I don't do it because that's just, that's not a fun way to live. I'm like, I know I'll be so super happy if I can do this fun hour because I enjoy it now. Like I really, it's a part of my day. I try and do something every day and I love it. I really enjoy it. But I think if you were, if you were like really hurting and being yeah. like, if your self-talk was negative, like if you're like, come on, you piece of shit, do this. I don't know if you'd be in there for the right reasons. You could have had that when you found, and as often happens, as I'm, I'm not making this up, you know, when people find themselves in that space, they're like, fuck it. And they just go and get another box of Krispy Kremes or they feel too ashamed to even start. What yep. would you say to someone about if they find themselves in that place, like, that they feel a bit of shame about the fact they've let themselves get to this situation. And I've, I was at a, a, a motorbike ride yesterday and there's there was other dads around and dads have baby weight. Yeah, of course. <laughs> totally, <laughs> oh my totally. God. You know, in those first two years, you're, you're flat stick. And, and you don't sleep. You don't have time. You, the days of, see you, honey, I'm off to do West Head. I'll be back in five hours. Yeah, They're exactly. gone. I can't do that anymore. Nah. But, you know, it's it's tricky. And So what would you say to, you know, guys or girls who found themselves and feel a little like, oh, I used to be, I used to be the fit kid at school. And now look at me, I'm buying new jeans. I think it's, I mean, I, I definitely had that, had that fluctuation too. We, but you, I think this just comes from an honesty just to be like, all right, I'm not anymore. But I, it probably just comes with like, if you want to get back there, I suppose everyone's got their own reasons. Like, but if you feel like I'd like to get back to that spot for me, because I want to keep enjoying life. Like for me, I'm like, I like being active. I like being able to do stuff with the kids. I like having a level of fitness that allows me to go on fun adventures like bike rides and things with friends like that's that's my goal and if that I think it comes down to people kind of going, honestly going all right this is what I want to do I know I'm not at the spot at the moment and that's totally okay that I think you've got to start with honesty and go okay well I'm not there and that's fine because this happens to people but you know you can be I think you know I don't know who said it but there's a famous saying where it's like life is pretty simple in the sense of like you figure out what you want and then you pay the price. And then if I'm 45 and I want a six-pack, right, well, you could dance around a bit, but you know what the price is. The price is 
it's going to be a lot of hard work. You probably have to just pay 100 barrels of sweat. But if you want to pay the price, that's the price. Or if you're like, you know, I feel sore and like lethargic, but I'd like to be able to, you know, race my kids up a mountain, you know, you pay the price. The probably is going to take a couple of months of like going halfway up the hill and feeling like you're having a heart attack, but over time you will get better. But you've got, I think, at the core you're there, you're talking about the why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's important to nail down the why at the start. Yeah. But just to go, I know this will take a lot of tiny steps. Yeah. Like uh, any, any, I've had this, fun, like after going through my own, you know, experiments and I find my own interest in being a bit more active in life, I've definitely have mates that have gone like, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to get fitter. I'd like to do this. And I've had fun as a side hustle, like, you know, going with mates, all right, let's do this. Let's let's do it together. And and that and I reckon, yeah, an important part is finding the why. And then and then breaking it down into just loads and loads and loads of achievable goals. And and I think a key part too is like, you know, I've always had a thing of just like you just can't look for results within the first two months. Because I think it's that thing of like looking if you're like, okay, I want to run a marathon and then you get so excited about the, like, I guess the the vibe around running a marathon that when you go out for your first run, you can't run a kilometre, which I would probably, I'm probably the same as you, I've got terrible knees, I would struggle to run a kilometre. Then you get disheartened and you're like, fuck it, I'm not doing it. But if you were like, well, I know for the first month, all I need to run is 500 metres and then stop and then 500 metres. I think if you can be realistic with that, that's how you incrementally build up to big things. It's not rocket surgery. It's not rocket surgery. No, so it, you, it really isn't. So it's, but that's the thing. I think we, we know that the temptation is to want the big glorious moment first. Yeah. And I think there's a, I can't remember who said this either, but I think there's a lot to be said with not vocalising a goal or not vocalising a big achievement. I'm definitely going to get this wrong, but I'll give the rough stats because I think it's an interesting lesson where it's like, let's say you're like, I'm going to do city to surf, right? Let's say you, you're not known for being Fit, you've, you can't run a kilometre. You're like, guess what, guys? I'm going to do City Surf. Yeah, it's, go, a, it's a foot race in Sydney. So that it's goes, a foot race, 15 yeah, k's, foot, yeah, 14, foot, 14 k's. It's the largest time foot race in the world. 100,000 people yeah, start it. It's, it's bananas. Awesome. It's great. Yeah. And it's a real achievement to do it. It's hard too. It's very people hard. Run hard people run and hard. They run and there's some, fast. There's some big hills and, you yeah. know. But it's. I did it many, many years ago and it was a super fun day. But let's say it's like, you know, hey, I'm the unfit guy in the office and you announce whatever I'm doing City Surf. I'm just like, oh, you know, Steve, well done, mate. Like, you're a legend. Unfortunately, if you were doing it for the glory of achieving the event, the, the, this thing that I read about sort of goal setting and this study was like you actually get 80% of your gratification from announcing <laughs> the mission. And then so much of the glory has gone because everyone's patting you on the back, everyone's saying that's awesome. You know, you've, you've grabbed everyone's attention and you've got the headline. But you haven't done any of the work yet. But now there's only 20% left to do it. Like, so now you're in this huge deficit of you've kind of lost all the feel good and you haven't earned any of it. And that's why it's sort of, you know, sometimes people peter out because they're like, oh, I'm just not feeling it anymore. I'm not feeling the buzz because you kind of took all the glory up front. We yeah. took a large chunk of it and it removed any of that sense of achievement for actually incrementally building up to achieving that thing. So I do think about that sometimes like, you know, nothing to do with fitness, but I'm like, yeah, if you've got an idea for a book or something, saying to you, like gave me going as like, I'm gonna write this book and this is what's about and like what a cool idea and she's like yeah great idea and I'm like huh well, I sort of got the <laughs> sort of got the buzz already first <laughs> I already told you the idea and you loved it so eh, maybe I'll start it later but if you were like 
quietly to yourself, okay, I've got this great idea. I think it's good. I'm going to work on it quietly and then I'm going to present it to the world. Yeah. That's probably, that's a harder discipline, but I think there's probably more chance of you achieving something, that second model. What's the current bicycle count at the Hamish Blake house? Current bike count. Actually, I got rid of one the other day, which is good. I got rid of a the bike. I just sort of had like a real run-of-the-mill mountain bike with the baby seat on the back, like the kid mm-hmm. seat. And my daughter's probably a little bit old for now, and but I've got a mate that's got a one-year-old that he's coming right into the slop. So I was like, mate, please get this out of the garage because I think I'm going to get a mountain bike, like a good downhill mountain bike. So currently, what am I at? Probably only three bikes. Okay. Or maybe four, four, four bikes. But uh, I went mountain biking in Tasmania the other week and I, I think I'm a bit hooked. It's really fun. I'm sure it is. I just see the amount of mates that I've had that have gotten into a lot of trouble yep. doing it. And, I, and I, yes, I descend plates in their head. ridiculously when given the opportunity. But my argument is that if I come off descending on a road bike, the ambulance can drive up next to me. That's if true. I come off that is a much on a mountain bike, you are. I'm a fucking winch on a helicopter. Yeah. You're on a the Saint Bernard away. I'm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, road biking, you are by definition <laughs> driving on an ambulance access strip. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, I've true. I've made you had to like carry each other out and they're like broken legs. K and, and a half from the trailhead and not small men. Yeah, gotcha. Up a hill to where the truck is. Like, I don't know if I want that. I, I And that's probably what's kept me out of it for so long. But also road biking, like I'm just a bit over cars. Like, you know, yeah. just especially coming like recently moving to Sydney. I oh, forget it. It's just brutal, right? Yeah, like, it's, it's, what an interesting sport to choose. I just like had yeah. moments where I'm on the, on the riding along in Sydney going, what an interesting sport to choose where you're just this flimsy sack of organs <laughs> like <laughs> zooming around at 40Ks an hour around cars. Just avoiding who, death. Who hate you. <laughs> if I'm out here just to push myself physically, there's a part of me going, do you think you could find a, another way to do that? Like there's no cars at the gym. Like yeah. no one's like – it's honestly like going yeah. to a gym and every now and again the receptionist without looking, like typing – like let's say the receptionist at the gym is just working away like – running through whoever the dude on the front desk is he's just running through applications he's working away and then occasionally pulls out a, a revolver and fires around into the gym now it probably won't hit anyone but, th- but that's sort of like what it was, is like being a cyclist like every now and again you're like fuck that could have killed someone <laughs> but then it's over and you just get back to exercising <laughs> that's, that's kind of like what being a cyclist is so i'm like do you really need to be out here risking this and look i do love it so i'm like my general rule is like I've got a bike at home, like a stationary trainer. So I'm like I'm happy to like get my exercise points there, like get stronger at home and then I love riding outside for a reason, like a big ride or like, a, you know, you're out in the mountains or yeah. you, you, you're seeing something that's not just traffic. Yeah. If it's just traffic, I'm not really that interested. I'm, I'm with you. And I think that's what I got really into mountain biking for, like down in Tassie and stuff. Like we went to this place called Derby and – They've like redone this old town that was an old mining town and then they've gone and built 200 kilometres of trails through the mountains there. Wow. And it's like world class. Amazing. And, you know, 10 years ago you could buy a house in the town for $10,000 because it's like there's, it's on the way to nowhere. It's an hour and a half out of Launceston and now it's like by Tassie standards, super expensive by the rest of us, not like, like 400 grand for a house now. And But the whole town is just mountain bike centric. And everyone's like, everyone is pumped. Like that's great. The the mood in the town is like euphoric. Everyone's that's just so stoked cool. to be out riding bikes and that's to cool. be, 
you, you just realize like everyone here is just here to be in the forest yeah. riding bikes. Amazing. And it's beautiful. And I actually- All we, right, you've convinced me. I might have to give it a go. And that's, it's, that's, <laughs> why, that's when you're riding, you're like, oh, this is like the whole point of these trails is just to like be in nature. Yeah. That's all yeah, you're doing yeah. all day long is just zooming around in nature. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you in many ways. I, a new bicycle came into the house, but What'd it's a get? bicycle with no wheels. Okay. I got the kicker bike. The Great. Wahoo kick a yeah, bike okay. and I just ride Zwift. Epic. That's what I do. Yeah. Because you're probably a little bit like me. Like, I mean, I know this is getting really nerdy, but when you've got a watt bike or a kicker or something that measures watts, you just get obsessed with your numbers and it's just a race against numbers. <laughs> but it's also, I can, the park's not far from where we where we are. And so I so said, why don't you come down here? So by the time I'm down here, so oh, the shoes, oh, I forgot to charge the LED thing. Oh, fucking blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I wasted half, yeah. half no, an I hour. I just use my bike now for good missions. Like, I'm on. I'm off. And especially having kids too. It's like like in nap times. I'm nap like, times. If I push hard, I can knock out 50 k's on the trainer in a nap. That's huge. Yeah. If That's I, really if good. If I push hard, yeah, about an hour 20, I can get it done. That's great. And but then, also you're stuffed, just, and then you're also, done for the day. Oh, yeah. You're cooked after 50 k's. But then like when people are like, when do you exercise? It's like, I don't know. Sometimes at six in the morning, sometimes at one forty-five in the afternoon. Like yes. sometimes a little bit now and a little bit later. Like that's what you have to do when you like. Yeah. It's great having the luxury to do it at home, but you know, like a set gym time is a total fantasy for me. And yeah. I don't even have a real job. I don't know how the fuck people do it with real jobs. <laughs> You've just spent a lot of a, a bunch of weeks traveling around the wide brown land. Yes. I know that you your work has taken you wonderfully across this Australia in many ways that many people would never, ever get to do. That's true. And I've spent a, a bit of time in parts of the country that people just don't go to. It's amazing. And people travel. The signs are in four different languages that aren't English because that many people from overseas come there. Yeah, right. And so many people from the city just never Like what would be your favorite spots? Like what are you thinking about when you think about that spot? What specific destination? Oh, there's a lot of red dirt and a lot of Milky Way. Yeah. like oh, It's awesome, isn't and it? And look, honestly, many in many ways, there's a lot of red dirt, there's a lot of Milky Way, and there is, oh, the oldest continuous culture on the face of the planet is everywhere. Yeah. And I've lived a life of this weird kind of British colonial disconnection yeah. from this land that has been continuously occupied by this entire nation, nations and nations of people. Mm. When you are out in Australia and when you are experiencing... I guess you're actually, in parts of it, you're experiencing the frontiers where you've been. You're experiencing the frontiers of where, you know, modern society and this ancient culture are butting up against it. What do you feel when True. you're out there? Yeah, immense smallness, like immense tininess. Like I think, like, especially in the Kimberley and the, you know, like through Central Australia, the top end, you know, I know, and, and I'm the same, like, you know, what we we're in that generation that's like trying to undo or at least recognize the patterns that we learned and going, okay, you know, well-meaning people in our upbringing, but zero proper appreciation for indigenous culture. And, you know, aside from just the stuff we like very basically learned about, you know, the first fleet, it just, just it, like you said, there was a huge disconnect. It was an interest. It was like, hey, this could be interesting. Isn't this interesting? The way that, you know, yeah. Aboriginal people have lived. Anyway, back to our, our way, rather than any deeper understanding or getting to walk and understand and, 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 and learn from the stories of that are there if you can look and, and find. So being out in those places and, and especially, you know, walking with traditional owners and having a glimpse, albeit just for a day or two, just crazy smallness, I reckon, just seem like I love this country because it's my homeland as well, but I don't really 
that's that feeling of like, well, you know, what, well, I'm 39 and it's like a blip and you're thinking, yeah, that number is in your head, like 60,000 years of untouched, perfect harmony. There's just that thing of like going, man, I just feel like I'm understanding the surface. I just feel like you've walked on the, walked on the surface of the land and you, you have these little touch points to the real deeper connection, like the absolute understanding or the, the oneness of the land that comes when you when you are there with like First Nations, people who, who have that understanding. So I think it's that normal mixture of emotions of just like, oh, I just didn't, I don't, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I love this place. Like it's, this is of course my home country um, and we all walk upon it and it's all our, all, it's all our home country, but we don't understand it properly. And it lights up a huge hunger to want to know more and to just to, to want to be out there more and to understand it. But I think even what you said before, like just Red Earth and the Milky Way, like just being out there in that I think is just good for the soul. I reckon that's yeah. the first step. I, I found it, I, the very first time I was out there, like in the, in the middle, middle, middle bit, I found I was shooting and I found myself whispering to my cameraman. Like we were the only humans mm-hmm. and besides the road, there was no structure, man-made structure to the horizon in every direction. And we were whispering to each other. Because we realise, oh wow, we're the smallest thing here. Yeah, yeah, the bigness, the bigness, (laughs) and like the actual tourism ad is about how big Australia is, and you know, there's probably a a, a deep, but there's probably a bit more of a spiritual meaning to it too, because it is absolutely the bigness of the country and the, I don't know, you just feel like a total guest, like a fleeting. You feel like a fleet, like as a human being, you feel like you're you're out there for a moment, and. Especially as a walker, you feel like I feel like I'm out here for a moment, and then getting to walk and learn from you know from traditional owners, you're like, okay, now I've got a touch point to something that's a lot bigger than a moment. Mm. But that's that's I, I just I just constantly felt that. Well, I remember being out there once, and um, we were walking with one of the custodians of the place we were at, and they were uh, a white person, but they lived with the community, mm-hmm. and this person was saying, oh you know, I was at this waterfall or something the other day and some of the people from the community were telling me the story about an owl. And the way they were talking, she was like, I thought it was a creation story. I thought it was a dream time story because the tense and the language and their broken English, what they were able to, you know, translate yep. was, oh, I thought it was a, a dream time story. It must have happened, you know, sometime, whatever. Anyway, she just came back there the next day, an owl flew out of the cave. And it really it really hit home to me that the way we see time yeah, and the way in many ways these cultures see time are two completely different things. Totally. And it wasn't 50,000 years ago. No. It happened. That's all. And it happened there. And ancestors. Yeah. And everything's walking as one. It's now in, as almost. part of the land. Yeah. And, I, and I think yeah. that like I have a huge, you know, desire to understand more and to learn more and to spend more time out yeah. learning a lot more and, and I think and trying to understand a lot more about different indigenous cultures in Australia but that's certainly one of the things you just like oh we yeah. you, you, you just begin to realise how many preconceived notions you you bring yeah. and how much yeah. you just assume you yeah, just yeah. bring your your own weird filters and, and backstories to it which of course you have because you've grown yeah, up yeah that's how we grew up in different different societies and the other thing that blows my mind is that the the dream time stories we get they are the stories that you're allowed to hear before you've passed through any ceremony, as far yeah, as I yeah, understand yeah. it. Yep. So I asked, what, what do we hear? And, and this person says, um, we're getting the basically the things you tell the toddlers. 
Of course. And, I, and when I, when you think about it, you're like, when was the last time you read a Dreamtime book? At primary school. Yeah. Like, it's the rainbow serpent. That's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they're, they're the things we get. But if you pass through ceremony and you become an elder, the wisdom, the, the I think therefore I am, that wisdom is all there. Yeah, but we yeah, just yeah. don't hear it. Yes. And so, because this, I, I wonder, the hot, I guess it's not really a hot take, but I wonder if, if the only stories we heard were toddler level, did the people who first encountered were like, ah, they're kids. Yeah. Or go, no, 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 we just can't tell you that because you haven't gone through the pain ceremony that, see this scar here? I earned this scar. And because of this scar, I now know this incredible wisdom that my culture keeps secret. Uh, I I wonder about that. Sorry. No, I agree. I agree. (laughs) But that's the thing. You just hit by like, oh man, there's just, you just, there's just so much we don't know. So much, so much. Just a quick moment away from my conversation with Hamish Blake to um, ask that if you have a moment, one of the ways that you can support this show is by telling somebody, letting somebody know about the show. You can also always send me an email, sandosheremail at gmail.com. Oh, screen grab it, send it to somebody, you know, tag us in. Like, I don't have access to Instagram anymore. I've, I've spoken about that. I don't have it on my phone, but I, I just still have it on my laptop and um, I am able to. There are people that I work with that uh, manage it for me. And there's, an, there's, there's a podcast two episodes ago about why I don't have Instagram on my phone, probably for the last time. But yeah, you can always, you know, tag me on Instagram in any post or whatever. That, 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 all that stuff really, really helps the show. Really helps the show. Yeah, we're going to have uh, some new episodes coming up uh, very soon. I'll tell you about that at the end of the show. But you might hear an ad here. If you do, thank you. Helping us keep the lights on. If you don't, there's more Hamish Blake. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are an incredibly high-profile person. You're, you're a tall man. You are very, you've been in people's faces for 20 years or more. How do you look after yourself so you are there for your family yeah i think i mean in terms of balancing that balancing a job that means you have a profile with your family i just think i think for me it comes down to going that is a part like it's a side effect of what i've got to do for a living like it's a side effect of choosing fun creative adventures as a way to make a living but people knowing who you are is a necessary side effect of that and and not unwelcome by any stretch of the imagination. Like I enjoy saying hi to people out and about and whatever. But you you know that that's, it's a part of a, a world, a game that you're playing. It's not who you are. Like my identity has, does not rely on being famous and doesn't rely on, you know, Hamish at home if, if like the public version of Hamish Blake, who I guess are pretty, hopefully are fairly similar because otherwise you're living a pretty tough life. 
But if that public side of things dried up, I'm, I'm, I'm quite fine with that because that's not who I am to my kids and my wife. He's a similar guy, but that's just sort of one of the hats I wear. So I think I've just always like I understand the world of, of having uh, – you get to understand the world of having a profile and the, the way that that system works. And there are, of course, giant benefits to it. Like you get to do some amazing things and having the, having the career I've had, I'm overwhelmingly grateful versus any kind of cost of losing your anonymity but you do understand it's a game. Like that's just a game you have to learn how to play because I think only, I'm, I'm, I sort of I treat it as a game because I think if you believed it, if it became your identity, then you would lose, you would absolutely lose yourself. Do you think that's the same for people who have other jobs, people who work at a, I don't know, work at a real estate agency or work well, at a I guess it is. I mean, it, it, I don't want to speak for people that work at a real estate agency, but it's probably easier to go like, hey, you know, my name's Sarah and... You know, I play footy on the weekend and I'm really interested in guitar and sailing. But I, my, for my job, I'm a real estate agent. But I could also be a nurse. It doesn't change all the shit I'm interested in. Like, it doesn't change how mm. I am as Sarah. So I think when you have a job that you can check into and check out of, maybe that makes that line really clear and doesn't mean you can't love your job and be passionate about doing well at it. But I, I probably had to think about it a little bit or I found I've had to think about it a bit because my job is being me. So it's a strange career to get into where you just like professionally are being yourself. I think it requires you to to try and you got to have that conversation with yourself about going, okay, well, you you are you for your job, but you're not relying on any like professional validation to be you because if that goes away, it goes away. You're still going to be you. So I think you have to have when you when your job is being you, you probably got to have that conversation with yourself. <laughs> just, just to stay sane. Man, <laughs> yeah, you have, you've, you've had, you, you've oh, had to oh, do it. I, I, I did not have that conversation with myself. <laughs> and when it all went away, I was like, "Well, what happens now?" Yeah, right. That's when I fell off the edge. Okay. That, yeah, yeah. Anyway, and what things brought you back? Uh, I had to get sober. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I had to get sober and have that conversation with myself. Right. Yeah, yeah. That was that was ten years ago now. But when I first met you. I was absolutely like in that when I came to Matt and Joe, when I, and mm-hmm. probably Troy would have been paneling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would have absolutely been in it. I would have absolutely believed every single thing. You know, I was, I'd like to think I was a special snowflake, but I'm not. I'm the guy that I've read about in every rock star biography that I ever read. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I'm the same guy. It's the same story. And it's, and it was really kind of funny, actually. When I first got sober, I went to this, uh, there's a fellowship of men and women that keep each other sober. Yep. And they have meetings sometimes. And I went to one of these meetings and um, that's, oh, that's not the meeting. If you go to that one, uh, it's in Los Angeles, it's up on Sunset. And I went to this meeting. And I was like, holy shit, I've interviewed you. I've got all your CDs. I've camped out for tickets to your shows. Yeah, right. Right. Okay, here I am. And they all told the same story. I was like, oh, boo. <laughs> Just the same. It. It's like the same story. <laughs> you know, it's the same story every time. I believe the bullshit. And but, then, but great. I mean, great that maybe in that stage you needed to see someone high profile. I did. Have did. the same problems because yeah. interesting that you were like I I can't stay at the meeting with the regulars. No, I need the no. high profile meeting. Well, it was I think it's more about because the meetings I I was going to were all gay meetings because the first person the idea is like uh, if you want what we have and you'll go to any lengths to get it. Yeah, we'll give you some steps to follow. And the guy that had what I wanted, he was an incredibly talented photographer, devastatingly handsome, life of the party and sober. I'm like. 
I need to know how you did that. I need to know right. how you stood there at this party with all these strangers and was just fine yeah, without right. drinking. And he said, cool, come to this meetings with me. And so the first meetings I ever went to were all in West Hollywood and I was the only straight guy in the room. And so I did that for months. Yeah, and right. then someone said, you maybe should go check out this other one up the road. I mean, the thing was wild is that in that meeting, all well, the stories were the same again. That's like, it. Man, it's like, all oh, right. So even though you're from Kansas and you have a completely different upbringing, you're 10 years younger than me, you tell exactly the same story about what it's like to be in a room and not be drinking or to be in a room with people you don't know and have to drink. Ah, right. Okay. So I'm not special after all. But then someone said, you should go to this meeting. At this but point. also, did you find that going to different meetings too, the extra perspective? Like oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Extra perspective, but still the sameness. You helps. always hear something you need to hear. And that's yep. the thing. Because if you have a resentment for something you're hearing, that's your ego going. Uh, making noise mm -hmm. and that's the ego that you've got to battle anyway we could go on i'm grateful that you could be here mate thank you so much I for really taking the this. time to come and hang out do you know what? i'm loving this time in my life too because i'm not really doing too much and so i just get to do things that i would like to do cool. like, without needing to be pushing a tv show or whatever and that's why i really want to do this because well, i'm really grateful I've, thanks, I've, I've wanted to for a long time so oh sweet oh i'm so happy <laughs> I'm so well, we could, I, I could do an entire 10-part series on the art and craft of keeping a radio career alive with you, but that's a whole other, that's a whole other Great to be here for part one. <laughs> uh, you know what? And it recorded. Oh, I thought you were about to say it didn't. I was like, all right, well, we've, that was a great rehearsal for part one. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Ladies and gentlemen, that was... Hamish Blake, easily dad of the year. I spoke with him very, very briefly at the Actor Awards a couple of weeks back. And I said, I finally saw that Bluey episode that you spoke about when we last chatted. And he goes, it's still probably the highlight of my career. The episode is called Explorers, if you're interested. He was in another episode called Army. Uh, he only had like one line, but... The episode's called Explorers. It's a Bluey episode called Explorers. Bluey, which I am. It's, fuck, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It's a fucking good show, man. <laughs> Jesus, it's a good show. It's been uh, a fantastic time to have a bit of a break over the summer, so thank you to everybody that, that helped us make the show over the summer. Uh, Andy Marr, Matt Sofo, Rachel Barrett, Bree Steele, Daryl Misson, uh, a bunch of people kind of came together to help us get these episodes out. So you had more episodes to listen to, uh, but we're back. We're back with a new one uh, next week. And Emily Ellis is our guest. She's written a fantastic book called Hope is a Verb. She's uh, an artist, she's an illustrator, she's an eco-activist, and she's written a really great book about anyone who's freaked out about what's going on with the planet right now. I mean, yeah, there's no food on the shelves and you can't get a test to tell if you've got COVID or not and you might accidentally kill someone that you love. Um, but there's also that kind of pesky problem of the oceans are the warmest they've ever been in human history for the sixth year in a row. They're getting warmer and warmer and warmer. And um, yeah, we're staring at a pretty different couple of decades ahead of us. And it's terrifying, but hope is an important thing to hold in your hand and hold in your heart hold in your eyes when you're looking at things and hope is a verb it's a fantastic book and uh, i can't wait for you to hear the conversation with emily on monday if you need me between now and then send us your email at gmail.com if not have a great time look after yourself wear a mask stay safe book your booster and um sleep well and dream of beautiful things
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.